Colossians chapter 1, book of Colossians chapter 1. While you're finding your place, Mark's going to come and sing for us. Okay. time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one salvation we believe we believe we believe in God the Father we believe in Jesus Christ
I do believe he's coming back again. Maybe tonight. We're going to meet him in the clouds. Y'all see how cloudy it was a while ago? This could be the day. Colossians chapter 1, we begin in verse 21. Follow along as I read aloud. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Can you imagine being the enemy of God? I'm not just talking about you being on opposite sides, I'm talking about God coming after you as his enemy. Because John, in 1 John said, Love not the world, neither things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the love of the world is enmity with God. The word enmity comes from the same root word as the word enemy. So if we love materialism, if we love stuff, if we love money, if we love things more than we love God, we're on the wrong side. I mean, how would you like today to be a Dodgers fan? Yeah. And I'm sure they got loyal fans, but they were on the wrong side. But that was just a ball game. What if you were a Christian in Iran or Syria? And the ISIS came to your village, marked the symbol for Nazarene on your door or on the wall of your house to let everybody know Christians live here. And then they came and took your kids, chopped the heads off in front of you and dared you to do anything about it. That's a different kind of enemy, isn't it? Well, let me tell you a secret. Do you know who the winners are? The followers of Jesus. It may look like the ISIS is winning, but when all is said and done, Jesus is going to be the king of all the kings and the Lord of all the lords and his children are going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's the team I want to be on. That's the team I am on. And though we 
we're sometimes alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. He has made a peace treaty between God and us so that we can come to God and be friends. We can come to God and receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior, John 1.12. He that believeth on him, to him he gives the power to become the sons of God, the authority to be a child of God. How did he do it? In the body of his flesh, through death. That's how he reconciled us. In the body of his flesh, through death. Now, wait a minute. Sin causes death, right? So how did Jesus die? He never sinned. Took our sins in his own body. That's how he died. When our sin was paid for... He bowed his head and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He died. Why did he do it? He goes on. To present you. If you don't mind, I'll personalize that. To present me and you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now just think about that for a minute. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus Christ has clothed you in His righteousness through His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and you're receiving from Him this power, this authority to call yourself a son of God. The Holy Spirit has adopted you into the family of God. And when God sees you, He sees you like He sees Jesus. That makes me want to stand up a little taller. Smile a little wider. You know? Wow! God thinks I'm perfect. You say, well, Brother Casey, doesn't everyone? Well, no. My wife and I both know the truth. (laughs) But the truth is, God thinks I'm perfect because Jesus is perfect. And God took all my imperfections and all my sin and buried them under the blood of Christ separated them from me as far as the east is from the west. That's east. That's west. Wow. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now we're going to pause here just for a minute because we're fixing to get into the prosperity gospel. Okay? You know what prosperity gospel is? It's called name it, claim it. Okay? 
prosperity gospel preaches that God does not want you to be sick. He, he knows that through the stripes of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are healed. And you ought to be perfectly healed of any problem, any disease right now because of Jesus. Okay? So, Miss Donna, how's your leg? Still aches? Whoa, that's not good. And just so you know, my neck is so stiff I can hardly stand it. And my lower back still hurts. You say, well, Brother Casey, what's the problem? What makes you think there's a problem? Okay. God wants you to be rich. Okay. That's the other side of the prosperity gospel. He wants you to have everything you could possibly want. Okay. You say, Brother Casey, do you believe that? No, but I've considered preaching it. Because those guys say, you want me to name them? Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn, Ken Copeland, John Hagee, not John Hagee, John Hagee, those are just the widely known ones. Preflow Dollar, thank you. And the message is, if you want God to bless you, then you have to sow the seed for blessing. And the way you do that is to send me money. Okay? So, you need my address? Or are you going to bring it to the church? Or how do you want to do this? Okay, let's get back to the Word. Because everything we hear, we need to filter through the Word of God. It will change a lot of stuff we listen to. Okay? Paul says... Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my... Whoa, that can't be the right word. Verse 24, y'all reading that with me? Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Okay, where's the blessings in that? And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh... For his body's sake, which is the church. Paul said, I am suffering and I am afflicted on your behalf. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. You see, this is a little difficult to swallow. Believers suffer so that the body of Christ can be built up. Believers are afflicted so that the body of Christ can grow. Believers are afflicted so that we can personify the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered for us. No wonder they like the prosperity gospel better. 
but the mystery. This is so cool. Colossians 1.26 defines the word mystery for us. Okay? Sometimes you go into a bookstore and they'll have a section called mystery books. Okay? Well, when we think of a mystery book, we think of something that happens that nobody knows. It's a mystery. No. Notice what he says. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, okay, was something hidden before. But it's a mystery because it is now made manifest to his saints. It's not a mystery if you can't go to the last chapter and find out who done it. That's what makes it a mystery. If you don't know who did it and you can't find out in the last chapter, it's not a mystery. It's just a frustrating read. Just irritating. Why would they do that? Publish a book and not tell you in the end what the end is. So what's the mystery? It's now made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Okay, so the mystery was hidden in the past, but now it's made known, it's manifest to the saints. And God wants, it to, wants the saints to know the glory, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, and if you don't get anything else tonight, get this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you know why I'm not going to hell? Because Jesus isn't going to hell. You know why I, why I don't have to fear death? Because Jesus already died. He already knows all about it. Sometimes we're afraid of the unknown, but there is no unknown in death. Okay? I'm going to close my eyes on this side, and I'm going to wake up on the other side. I'm going to draw my last breath of old, polluted air here, and I'm going to draw my first breath of pure celestial air on the other side, I'm going to lay down this old, tired, decrepit body on this side. And I'm going to walk through the other side in a new, glorified, immortal, incorruptible body. Now, the immortal part we understand. That means you're never going to die. The incorruptible part we might not understand. Okay? Incorruptible means... If you fall down, you don't get bruised. Okay? You get knocked down, doesn't hurt. On this side, I'm allergic to two things, pain and gravity. I'm not going to be allergic to either one of those on the other side. Not going to be any pain. No more pain. That's what the book of Revelation says. No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more grief. Because nobody over there is going to die. I'm not going to have to stand by anybody's casket on that side and say goodbye again. No, that's all going to be over. Came in the service tonight. Somebody said, 
How you doing? I think it was Brother Richard. I said, how you doing? I said, not bad for an old guy. He said, you're not old. And I thought, okay, then I'm doing pretty bad. Because <laughs> I feel really old. None of that on the other side. Why? Because of Christ in me. Now, we understand that when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. Okay? He just moves in. And part of his job is housekeeping. You see, what do you mean? Well, imagine, if you will, that your heart is a, is a castle. Your heart and mind, okay? Your, your soul, that part of you that makes decisions and has personality and, and chooses and, you know, your will. Okay? Imagine it a castle. And you live there. And things come into your castle. They, when it first happens, you know it ought not to be there. But, like my mom used to say, if you want to make trash disappear, put it in your front yard and leave it for two weeks. Because after two weeks, you won't ever see it again. Well, it'll still be there. You just won't notice. And that happens in our hearts. We do something wrong and we know it's wrong and we are convicted by it, but we push it over to the side and in a little while we can do it over and over again and it doesn't bother us anymore. So when we receive Christ as personal Savior, the Holy Spirit moves into us and He, and he illuminates the Word of God. What does illuminate mean? You don't want me to demonstrate because it will get dark in here. Yeah. To illuminate means to shine the light on it. So the Holy Spirit takes the light of the Word of God and He goes through your heart and your mind and He starts shining it on stuff. And when He shines the light of the Word of God on it, you think, ooh, that looks really bad. And at that point, you have the option. Get rid of it or tell the Holy Spirit, no, I think we'll keep that. Okay. Picture that in your mind just for a moment. You tell God, the Holy Spirit's God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. They're all God. And when it says Christ in you, we know the Holy Spirit's in us, but it's the Spirit of Christ, and so it's Christ in us. In John fourteen twenty three, if you keep my commandments... My Father will love you, and He and I will come and make our abode with you. We'll come and live with you. So you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living in you. And God says, ooh, that looks bad. That needs to get out of here. And you look at God and the Lord Jesus Christ standing there with the hole still in His hand, the hole still in His scalp where they drove the nails, uh, excuse me, where they drove the thorns down into it, the patches where they rip the beard from his face, and you say, uh, no, I like that stuff better than I like you. I'm just going to leave it. To me, that sounds like the height of ingratitude. He loved you so much, he died on the cross for you. And he causes your spirit, his spirit to move into you, to help you, to clean up your life. 
And as that Holy Spirit begins to shine the light of the Word of God on stuff, quite honestly, we ought to get rid of it. You say, okay, how do you get rid of it? Confess it. Confess it. Say the same thing about it that God says. What does God say about stuff that's not right? He calls it sin. Surely he's not that harsh. How about shortcomings? Because okay. we do that, don't we? God, forgive me of my shortcomings. See? Mm, no, God doesn't call them shortcomings. Mistakes. Oh, that's a good one. You know, Because it's a whole lot easier to say, I was mistaken than to say I was... Whatever that word is. W-R-O-N-G. Mistaken. Yeah. Okay. But no, God doesn't call them mistakes. What does God call them? Sin. Sin. To confess means to say the same thing God says. Okay. So if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, He leaves us how? Righteous. That's why God sees us righteous. The mystery, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So what's the intent of you being saved and you being righteous before God? So that you can warn everybody else. And you can teach every man in all wisdom. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. That's what we're studying in Sunday school. We're studying God's two great needs. He needs people to win souls and people to train people to win souls. That's what this coming Sunday's lesson is about. God training people to train people to win souls. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I mean, how were 12 men supposed to do that? Or 120 men supposed to do that? And they acted like they thought God meant it. When the Holy Spirit came on them, they preached, and they baptized 3,000 the first day. 120 of them. 3,000 divided by 120. Everybody didn't win just one, I promise. Wow. And that's God's plan. And that's what Paul says to the churches in Colossae. He says, 
God has revealed this mystery. That Gentiles can have Jesus Christ living in them. Same as Jews that get saved. And he shows the riches of his glory. The truth of the matter is, Jesus could have died just for a few. We wouldn't have known anything about it. But the scripture says, he's the propitiation, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He's the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the whole world needs to know that they can have Jesus Christ living in them. And how are they going to know? Well, Christians are supposed to live righteously the way God sees us so that when people see us, they'll know there's something different about us. By the way we act, by the way we talk, or actually, by the way we don't talk. And when that happens, oh, wow. Folks are drawn to Jesus. Folks are drawn to Jesus. Let's pray together. Just before we pray, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to say that if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart tonight through His Word, through the music, through the prayer request, or maybe just something out of the blue, then you need this opportunity to say yes to the Holy Spirit. So before we are dismissed, I want us to sing softly. Don't even need the piano. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. And if you need to come, you come on the first few words of that first verse and do business with God here at this altar. Just as I am with out one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Father, thank you for your precious word. Make it more precious to us as we recognize how rare it is in the hearts of the people of this world, in the minds of the folks in this world, even in the minds of some of our own believers, members. Lord, 
cause your Holy Spirit to make it precious to us before we begin to lose it. It begins to be taken away. Everyone seems worried that the government might try to take away our guns, but what happens if they take away our Bibles? Father, we ask you to bless. Dismiss us with your love and bring us back safely on Sunday. Again, we bring all of our requests before you, knowing that you know what they are, and asking that you meet those requests. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. God bless you.